Well, hello, folks, and welcome to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. we got a special episode for you on this one. We're back to our interviewing episode. We haven't done an interview in a while. I am, of course, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, and I'm joined, as always, by my partner in almost everything. It is Pat Sampson, a.k.a. DJ Cristados. Welcome back, Pat. Oh, uh, thank you for having me, Jared. I'm glad to be here. Uh, it just seems like keep doing this over and over and over i'm trying to find a way out of it but uh, maybe i might like you feel like you've done it and then you go back in time yeah, and do I it again and do it back in time and do it again because it's yeah. a great interview i love it <laughs> i can always count on you Pat. <laughs> yeah we're going to talk a little bit about time travel and doing things over and over again this evening we have a very special guest with us. We would like to welcome to the show a creator has many accolades from the James Bond angle. He was a creator on James Bond Origin and James Bond Solstice over at Dynamite Comics. It's Ibrahim Mustafa. Thank you for coming in today, Ibrahim. Thank you for having me, fellas. It is uh, a pleasure to be here. We did it right. So we got the limo and uh, he just got here. That's right. He's enjoying Actually, the- I, I, I showed up on, on a... Uh boat with a vest on and my hair was a little bit too long and blowing in the wind and <laughs> <laughs> however you get to our beautiful studios yeah. <laughs> but yes uh it is ibrahim mustafa we're so excited to have you here ibrahim has contributed quite a bit of just wonderful content to the james bond universe and he's got more wonderful content like i said out there and we're going to talk a bit about what he's got coming up on this episode but of course it's not our majesty secret podcast and ibrahim he let me in a little secret he likes James Bond. <laughs> he, <laughs> he likes to talk about James Bond. So we're going to put him through some rapid fire James Bond questions just to get a vibe for where Ibrahim stands in the whole James Bond spectrum. I will kick us off. Are you ready? Are you excited? Let's do it. Let's right. do it. I can see him. He's sweating. <laughs> nah, he's cool as a cucumber. All right. Let's just do the easy one first. Favorite Bond movie. Skyfall. Ooh. That's ridiculous. Try again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll second that. I, I don't think it's the best Bond movie, but it's my favorite Bond. No, movie. there's that's, nothing that's wrong. That's my with caveat. It. I think Casino Royale is the best, but Skyfall is my favorite one to watch. Oh, really? You're very, very much of a Craig era kind of guy. I see. But he's not my favorite Bond, which we'll get to. With Ooh, the, I'm, I'm sure certain. another question. I'm certain we will. <laughs> well, let me ask you this: feeding off of that one, what was your first Bond movie that you remember watching? You know, I honestly don't recall because I first saw the Bond movies on like a, one of those TBS, you know, seven days of Bond in the summertime. Yes, yes. And it was like, it was one of the Connery ones. It was either Dr. No or from Russia with love. Okay. But yeah, so that was my first exposure. And then that was around the time that Goldeneye was coming out and I was in middle school. So it was like, you know, that was why they were showing them. And mm-hmm. I had played the game goldeneye but i had not seen any of the movies yet so that's that was kind of my intro to the oh, intro <laughs> yeah as our listeners will know which includes ibrahim apparently he's he's been telling us things that we've done on the show which means he actually listens which oh yeah uh, really <laughs> makes me smile ear to ear but uh, i've been doing a video game documentary series i just wrapped that up and it's really cool how very people from your age both pat and i are a little older than you but a lot of people your age kind of found that N64 game. Yeah. And it kind of brought them to the franchise. Like the power of that game is incredible. It was really something. My my friends and I would spend hours playing it. We used to, and actually we got even more into the world is not enough, which I think is the oh. superior game. Cause it's basically Ooh. Goldeneye with 
better graphics. Hot takes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and what we would do is we would we'd do the four-way split screen, and then we would put a cardboard box down the middle held oh. up by a broomstick, and then we put a piece of electrical tape down the center so you couldn't see the sliver of screen oh. to see where each other were. Oh. We, got so, we would play for, in the summertime eight hours a day. And oh, we, man. we got so good at that game, we could literally get somebody with a headshot like running in an opposite direction with the, with the, with the sniper scope. Uh, we'd both be running, you know, it was, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I love, I love hearing stuff like Do that. Do you still dabble in some games? You know, I just uh, revisited Bloodstone not too long ago, which is just a phenomenal game nice. in my opinion. You know, it's not perfect, obviously, but as a, a third person Bond game, you know, and I mean, it's essentially, it's a little bonus Daniel Craig Bond movie. Mm-hmm, that you absolutely. get to interact with, you know? So, yeah, I uh, I don't play a ton of games, but stuff that I can kind of pop in and just, you know, no. revisit like that, I do. Nice. Yeah, I imagine you stay pretty busy with all the comics, comic man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you, are, you are always making something. That's definitely something I've uh, I've noticed. Uh, by the way, Pat, that was an excellent question. What's your first Bond movie? I'm proud of you for that. Yeah, That's you like that? Yeah, we haven't, <laughs> you haven't busted that one out before. I liked it. Mm, thank you. You know, I learned from the best. Well, <laughs> Alan. Alan, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, where should we go next, Pat? Let's do the obvious. Let's do the obvious. All right. We said he loves the Craig era, but he said Craig's not his favorite Bond. So tell me who your favorite Bond is and why it's Timothy Dalton. It is Timothy Dalton. Oh, snap. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I love it. And he was just such a undiscovered gem as Bond to me because... I feel like you don't, they didn't really show those on TV when I was a kid. You know, I didn't see them until I was an adult and I was going through, you know, from Dr. No all the way through, uh, you know, with the DVD set. When I got to the living daylights, I was just like, this is, this is phenomenal. Like this is, you know, and by then I had a, a feel for the Fleming novels. And right. to me, it was just such a perfect encapsulation of Fleming's bond. Um, I mean, he looks the part, you know, he looks like how Bond was described by Fleming in the novels. He's a fantastic actor. And I love the songs, you know, Aha and, and Gladys Knight. I mean, the, the, like, mm-hmm. those are those are two of my absolute favorite Bond opening songs. And I love that's my favorite Aston Martin is that mid 80s vantage oh, Volante, you know. Yes. So, yeah, I just those movies really just absolutely did it for me. You know, as a kid, I watched The Rocketeer all the time. And so I was already familiar with Dalton because of that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just an easy sell at that point. (laughs) So this is the best guest we've ever had. I don't know what to do now, Pat. I don't know what to do. Well, well, let's go to the opposite spectrum of that. That if you have a favorite Bond actor, who's your favorite Bond villain? Silva. Javier Bardem as as mm. Raul Silva to me is is the pinnacle of Bond villains. He was so engrossing in that role. That's a big part of why Skyfall is my favorite is because he's just so good mm. in it. And I love the fact that nobody told him to do his hair like that. He showed up that way. <laughs> you know, he just said, "Yeah, I dyed my hair." I, you know, and I was like, "That's that's incredible." He wore the the mouth insert to make it look know, like oh yeah, man. so that when he pulled it out, it, it was actually him. Yeah. pulling something out you know yeah. and if you ever had to re- wear a retainer in your life you know you know what that's like so <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i just thought he was phenomenal now i have a backup to that question we talked about favorite bond actor 
uh, we talked about favorite Bond villain. Now, what is your favorite Bond animal? I've never thought about that. Oh, I got to think um, about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Huh. Maybe the uh, cobra in, um, is that Octopussy where the cobra <laughs> comes out to like no, the, sure. basically the James Bond theme song? Yes. <laughs> it's so absurd that it's in the movie, you know? <laughs> And I'm like, I would, if I was to ever hang out with like a deadly venomous cobra, I'd be that one because he's great at Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got me thinking, Pat. Like, that's uh, a good question. All of a sudden, yeah, I'm liking Max, the big parrot who actually ended up I, in two I have a bird on my, I have a cat, shark, bird, and I was trying to think of some other animals. Oh, double taking pigeon up. from Moonraker. Yeah, oh, honorable yeah. mention to uh, the lizard in License to Kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Crocodiles. Yeah. Excellent. Pat, where are you coming up with that? You got all the creativity tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I think he passed the rapid fire section with flying colors. Flying colors. He likes Dalton. (laughs) What more do we need? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you had him at Dalton. He did. He really did. You know what? You know what more we need? We do need one more. Uh, He mentioned some really killer theme songs. Mm -hmm. What's the best theme song for you, uh, Ibrahim? Ooh. I think if we're going, which one am I going to listen to? Like just on any given day, it's, it's probably the living daylights. Good time. Um, Good tune. Yeah. But I, I also love a view to a kill. The uh, Duran Duran. Yes. I mean, that's just those, those, wow. those three in a row are just like, that's the best run on, on bond intros for me. It's not bad. It's yeah. not bad yeah. at all. Not bad at all. Well, he did a wonderful job. Thank you for playing along in our rapid fire. Oh, round. My pleasure. I, I, I think about this stuff without being asked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. I'll, I'll be in the shower and I'll be like, all right. Now, if all the henchmen fought in a cage match, who would come right. out alive? <laughs> Actually, um, you'll appreciate this. I have a life-size Timothy Dalton cardboard cut out of him in the tux doing the, the gun barrel shot oh, pose. My goodness. Yeah, I don't have anywhere to display it in my office <laughs> right now, so it's it's in storage, but in my old place it was featured prominently. Scared the <gasps> hell out of my neighbor one too who came <laughs> over to water our plants while we were gone. <laughs> Forgot to tell him about it. Oh, Pat, you know, if I had that I'd like talk to him be like Morning Timmy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you probably have like the button where he can speak back to you, you, you clips from <laughs> just movie clips i love this guy <laughs> awesome awesome oh that's good stuff well we could go on and on about this we could do it over and over and over again and over again speaking of doing things over and over again we need to talk about ibrahim's new project uh he was nice enough to send us a little preview copy of a new book he's got coming out from the press's Humanoids, right? Correct. Yep. All right. Humanoids, which I think is a Mark Wade publication thing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So Humanoids is, they've been around for, you know, they were like in the Yodorowsky Mobius, you know, I mean, that, that was like what they were putting out. So the Incal, uh, Meta Barons. And so they're, they're a French publisher in origin. And then they've had a U.S. branch for the last, several years and mark way is the publisher over there okay. uh, so so this book is coming out through the u.s for well, it's coming out in france too but so that's kind of cool they translate it and double print it <laughs> so trey be in yeah <laughs> well of the name of the book we won't hold it back for you guys any longer the name of the book is called retroactive and ibrahim pretty much does almost everything in the book he draws it he plotted it he wrote it 
He has a little bit of help on it, which I'm sure he'll talk about. He has a very nice dust jacket photograph on the inside. <laughs> very <laughs> professional. It looks good. Thanks. But yes, let's talk about Retroactive, your new book that's coming out. Uh, for folks at home, it runs at about, well, I don't know bonus materials and all that, but the copy we got runs near 140 pages. It is a sci-fi adventure. I, you know, I don't know if I can do it justice, Ibrahim. You tell us how you want, you want yeah. it to, well, to be. So, so the, the elevator pitch that I've been telling people is, is James Bond meets Groundhog Day. So 20, 30 years in the future, time travel is a thing, but it's a secret essentially, right? And so you have your your CIA of time travel and your MI6 of time travel, et cetera. So the five superpowers of, of the US, the UK, China, Japan, and Russia have it. And it's kind of this new Cold War where, you know, Russia goes back in time to try to screw up our timeline for their benefit. And so we have agents at the Bureau of Temporal Affairs, the BTA, that their job is to go back and stop those, you know, agents from screwing up our timeline. And then they also will go back and avert, you know, disasters or terror attacks, et cetera. So our main character is investigating these anomalies in the timeline that don't have like a, a signature that tell them where they're coming from. Because typically, like, you know, in this world, if Russia goes back in time, they have their own temporal accelerator. It's kind of a Higgs boson collider type of thing. And we can see that it was their time signature, right? So these anomalies have no signature. So he's going to investigate with his partner and the bad guys essentially catch him and stick him in a time loop to keep him out of the way so that they can execute their nefarious plan. So, and, and this time loop is triggered by this terror attack, essentially. So he has to figure out how to stop the attack get out of the time loop and then go back to his timeline and stop the bad guys. That's what I read. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's twisty and turny and there's, I try to give a cool explanation for the time loop, which, you know, typically you don't get a reason why they're in a loop. It's just, you know, in these movies that do that or whatever. So yeah. I wanted to have a cool explanation for it. And it's very much, if you guys notice, I structured it very much like a bond story, mm. right? You've got yeah. your big opening sequence in a, in a mm-hmm. cool location. You know, you've got a title card, and then, you know, we sort of, you know, we have our villain and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was it was very much kind of my love letter to both Bond movies and time travel stuff, which I love as well. Yeah, I, I tell you, as I was reading through it, and uh, this is a total compliment. I always afraid I'm going to offend the creator or something. But, like, I got time cop vibes off of it. But, like, a real, like, this is a slicker version I hope you like Time Cop because I, I love do. Time I love Time Cop. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, yeah. this is like a very slick, and I don't want to slight the Time Cop creators either, but it's almost like a, a, a very slick, almost more thought out, a deeper version of that. And and no slight on, I love Time Cop. I love your, I hope I haven't offended anybody. But that's, well, that's no, I think, and thank you. I think, you know, this story has much more modern storytelling sensibilities. Yeah. True. You know, and Time Cop was like, what, 93? Yeah. You do something like that. So, you know, that, I mean, that was of a time where, action stars had mullets and you know it was <laughs> you had that judge dread and demolition man all kind of in that same time for you know there's they're very right. much of a particular thing so yeah well i'm glad i didn't upset anybody but I, when i was reading i was like this is like a really really <laughs> cool time and i gotta tip my cap to you as a small time small time creator uh, writer of stories i'm always nervous like i like every i think every creator likes to eyeball a time travel story but man that that like by the time I got to page 120, I felt like I was like reading 
maybe the script inception i'm like okay so he had to like (laughs) all the things you had to keep track of has got to be insane like how did you keep track of it did you did you literally like i guess storyboard silly since you're making comics but like did you have like notes to make sure that everything was in the way you wanted yeah and actually in the bonus material there is like a kind of a chart that i made to send my editor to show him like this is you know (laughs) like this tracks the time travel so you can see that it all makes sense it was a very difficult thing to write because of that stuff. I had never attempted anything on that level. You know, everything I had written up until that point was a little bit more straightforward, right? So with this, not only does it deal with the time travel, but I have essentially two parallel timelines that converge toward the third act of the Mm, the book. And so keeping track of that as well and making sure it was all, you know, watertight uh, as far as, you know, time travel logic can be. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was definitely a challenge, but I, I'm pleased that I, you know, was able to kind of cross the finish line and I feel like I pulled it off at least to some extent. So <laughs> you did pull it off and having that graph at the end was helpful for me to go back then and look through the pages that I read and go, Oh yeah, I see where he was talking about there and understanding that. And I really liked the thing that you did with the, the reactive circle thing so you knew what was happening when they were looping or or doing the jumping that they do i thought that was very inventive way to to letting the reader know just by an iq i'm like oh this is where they're jumping and then they're jumping again and just having that loop effect happening not only from solstice how we really liked your words without words in your art that you do oh Mm -hmm. thank you Mm -hmm. the layouts the artwork it just to me, I like words without words. It's just, I totally That's a good way to put the it. story. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you, Pat. I, you know, being the writer and artist, you get the benefit of letting things breathe like that and letting the, the visuals speak for themselves. I think of it like it's akin to when you're watching a movie and there are silent beats, right? You know, and comics are a collaborative medium. I love collaborating with folks. But a lot of times, you know, when you have a writer and an artist, the writer will feel the need to fill those silences with dialogue, you know, because mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, they want to feel like they're doing something too. And, you know, like that their work is on the page as well. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of times comics don't get the opportunity to do that as much. And that's not the case with every comic, obviously, but sure. you know, sometimes it happens. Like I've had instances where I put little sight gags in the background and a writer has gone in and given it all dialogue. And it's kind of like, well, now it's just, you know, it was more fun when it was, you know, it was like a thing that you could catch. And now it's like you're calling attention to it. And the, yeah. those word balloons are covering up the other sight gags. And it's kind of like, you know. So, yeah. And then with the uh, with the the time loop little icon, I appreciate that because I definitely in this medium, it's different. Right. If you're watching mm-hmm. a Groundhog Day or Edge of Tomorrow, it does a smash cut to the day begins again. Right. And it's easier to edit that footage in than it is to draw that same thing over and over again. So. And also, you know, real estate on the page is an issue, too. So I wanted to have a quick visual iconography of like this symbol lets you know that this is the start of another day uh, Mm -hmm. or, you know, another loop, at least. So that was a fun thing to do in this book. I did a lot of stuff, too. Like there are a lot of circular motifs in this book. Like I just kind of like peppered throughout, you know, just light fixtures are are a circle. A bench is a circle. You know, a panel might be a circle like headlights or circles, you know, so I, I did a lot of that just to kind of do sort of a, you know, subversive kind of like this whole thing is a loop, you know, type of 
idea with what or that time is a time is a flat circle kind of thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that would explain why I was hungry for donuts. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm always. Oh, there's actually there's a there's a bagel in the in the yep. book too. There I mean, isn't. I just I just think I didn't even think about that until you said it, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you planned it. You totally yeah, planned it. Totally. <laughs> even when you look at that piece, you see that begin that build up. You know, the first time you see that piece happen, you now you see it. Then the loop happens again, and now you just you just cut through those quick things, and I already know from the pages before what happened again. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is a cool concept. Thank you, Definitely man. That's cool a really concept. fun aspect of comics too. Is like it's such a interactive experience, right? Like movies are passive. Like the movies tell showing you, and you're just sitting there mm-hmm. soaking it in. But with comics, like your brain has to fill in gaps between panels yeah. and things like that. So I really enjoyed that aspect of of abbreviating the stuff we already saw to let the reader know that it's happening again. And then as a reader, your brain can fill in those gaps and remember what it, mm-hmm. how, what took place before. Speaking about trying to remember something when I was reading this, I found myself having to go back pages because of the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> and I was always double checking those. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, does that mean something? And, and I don't you don't have to give it away if you don't want to, but just, I was like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> Yeah, that was just a device so that we could follow along with Tarek, the main character, and kind of where his mind is at in terms oh, of like, okay. is he losing Bench it? Level. You know, like, okay. yeah, there's sort of a check in that we have with him to see like where he's at in terms of his uh, ability okay. to sequence things. And I was kind of pulling from inspiration of like, I know that people with traumatic brain injuries can have difficulty sequencing. And so oh. they'll use reminders. And so I kind of wanted to, do something similar where, you know, as he's in this time loop, he's going like, am I losing it? I mean, you got to imagine if, if you were in that headspace, yeah. you'd, you'd probably go nuts, right? Like how many times oh, has yeah. he lived the same day over and over again? So that was a, a visual way for the readers to follow along and go like, okay, where's he at with this? Mm-hmm. Just my tack onto this whole, um, what Pat's been saying overall with the, you being the writer and the artist and, and how you can expedite, I guess, storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, I, a peek behind the curtain to our listeners. Ibrahim sent us the copy to read, so we'd be prepared for the show. And like I said, it's probably 120, 130 pages, and he sent it to me. And I think I emailed you back like 40 minutes later, like, I've finished it. (laughs) (laughs) Because at first I saw the page count, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize this could be, I'm going to have to read all this comic, you know, because I don't want to let it down. But then I think I actually read it in about 30 minutes. It is brisk storytelling, but what I also want to let the listeners know is, because you might think, well, it's not going to be bang for my buck if I'm going to be done in 30 minutes, but no, much like a Groundhog Day story, Edge of Tomorrow type of deal, you're going to want to revisit it to pick up all the little nuances. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ironically, it's a very revisitable story (laughs) as you pick up the details and the things that you put in there. So. It's best of both worlds, listeners. If you're interested in this retroactive project, and I hope you are, it's a fast, brisk, fast-paced read that you're going to want to read again and probably again. So it's best of both worlds, in my opinion. I think you did an outstanding job on that. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was very much my intent that it would be something that people would want to, you know, hopefully finish and then go, I got to read this again to pick up on all the... Yeah. (laughs) Another cool thing is that you know, most of the people who've read it so far have told me that, yeah, I, I read it in one sitting. Like, I, I just couldn't couldn't oh, stop absolutely. scrolling, you know. Absolutely. I scrolled. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think 
I have a couple of copies of, you know, print, like pre, um, whatever, you know, they send you a couple of copies ahead of time. People who've read those, I know it took them a little bit longer. I think there's something about the format of flipping pages versus scrolling, right? Because now we're just this like scroll society where everything is just like, you know, you got your little wheel going, right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, like, so I think, I think in the actual book format, it tends to be a little bit better pacing just because of the fact that like you're engaging with physical pages that need to turn and it, it just takes longer i it, think <laughs> so. it did take me a little bit longer to go but then i'm I'm not a fast reader probably like jared is and i was also you know soaking in everything that i could because i'm like is this part of the story what's going on in the background all these different stuff that's happening you know I, I was trying to understand how the process works with the time jumping and all that and one of the cool ideas and you explain it you you just don't you know blurt it out right away you show some examples and then you explain it a little bit more here and there throughout the casual conversations that are going on in this. And I found it very interesting that I didn't have to scroll back and go, oh, okay, I see what was going on earlier on and how they got from this place to that place. Thank and you. Yeah, I, I wanted to try to trickle out the information as we went so that it wasn't just like a huge info dump of like, you know. So time travel much today? Let me tell you how we're, you know, like <laughs> when you, sometimes you get dialogue and stuff that's like, how long have we been brothers? And you're like, come on. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to avoid that issue and kind of that's a function of Lucia, the the new recruit. who mm-hmm. She's not our main character, but she's kind of like our eyes and ears in terms of like, you know, this is how we do the time travel thing, <laughs> you know, without without being too clunky about exposition. One of the things I appreciated about it as well was the furthest forward they end up going is like 2057 as I'm shooting from the hip is the furthest. Yeah. And that's, forward. that's like modern day, modern day story. Then, right? Yeah. And what I really appreciated about it is uh, you did a thing like a lot of creators when they're like, Oh, I'm going to go a little bit forward in the future, get really extravagant with how things change technology and stuff. But I love the way, your automobiles have a change, but not a big change. Like I think you were uh, wise to hold back. It made me think a bit of Blade Runner. You know, Blade Runner is kind of like the standard. Like the future is going to be kind of like now. Right, <laughs> People are still going right. to wear kind of regular clothes. There'll be minor tweaks and twists. Right. And I think you were smart to do that, and I think it plays really well in your book. Thank you. I really appreciate that because that was a hundred percent intentional. How many times have we, you know, seen online when the date that was at the beginning of the far in the future movie is today? And it's like, <laughs> we don't have any of that stuff, you know? Right, <laughs> so right. Where's my silver to... jumpsuit? I want yeah. my one piece silver jumpsuit. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, if you really think about it, like styles kind of come back around. Also, yeah. yeah, they're cyclical. Right. And so that was also kind of a layer of this time being a circle aspect to it is like, you know, the the suits that they wear are sort of reminiscent of like the sixties, which that. came back again in, you know, the last like 10 years. And then, so you figure another 20, 30 years from now they're back again. Right. So I was kind of plotting out in terms of just the general like trends and how they come back. And then, you know, with the cars, like I don't come out and say it, but like the main character drives a Mustang and you can tell if you know a Mustang, you'll see the taillights and the, you know, but it's close, it's like a future version of the Mustang. So a lot of times in the movies, the cars fly or they have, you know, just completely impractical mm-hmm. stuff. And if you look at a Mustang from today and a Mustang from the 60s, 
they share a lot of lines, you know, the body lines and stuff, but there's just, there are modern tweaks to it. So I wanted to kind of extrapolate on like, what would the changes in another 20, 30 years look like on a vehicle? The other thing I did is the old cars in this book are the cars of today, right? Because that's the other thing. When you when you see these future stuff, you would see like a, you know, a 2000 Toyota Camry driving around, right? And that would be <laughs> the equivalent of like, right. you know, seeing an old car today. So I wanted to kind of make that part ring true as well so that it's like it feels like our world just fast forwarded and not like some future other planet or something. Well, you nailed it. I mean, I think that is just another benefit of being the writer and the visual storyteller. Yeah. It's it's just wonderful that you're able to get every little detail in your brain. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun, age. man. Yeah, it's nice when it comes out of you, you know, you control it all. And if you screw it up, it's on you. You know, if it doesn't make sense, it's on mm-hmm. you. But, you know, <laughs> when you get it right, you get to. And I should point, I should mention as well, Brad Simpson colored this book. Yeah, I was just going to mention that too, the yeah, additional I, help you had with this, uh, picking the great people that you did on the colors and the the lettering yeah Haas on letters he's he's one of the most prolific uh letterers in comics right now and he just he really swings for the fences and and makes the visuals like i think it really elevates the look of the book when he does cool stuff like there's a scene where a train hits a motorcycle you know there's a crash sound effect and he made like the forks of the motorcycle that i drew you know in, in the motorcycle getting hit like the a in the word crash you know, so he just does really cool stuff like that to incorporate <laughs> it. And then Brad, I mean, his colors are just incredible. Like he was a landscape painter at some point in his life, I think before he got into coloring comics. And so like his stuff is just, it's so gorgeous. I mean, what is essentially just a blank white space with maybe some clouds drawn in when I send it off to him comes back as this like gorgeous sunset, you know, with like pinks and purples and oranges and stuff. So now when I write, scripts knowing that i'm working with him i i put as many sunrises and sunsets in as possible because i'm just like i want to let see brad do his thing you know we we talked a little bit offline before we started recording tonight about how you did this traditionally your pencils and your inks and all that stuff is brad doing the same as is or is he a digital colorist yeah, he's, he's working in photoshop okay okay yeah. It's neat because it's kind of hard to tell, you know, as you look at it, I'm like, I almost feel like, do I see colored pencil in there right. a little bit? Well, that's or? the thing. Yeah. He brings this traditional artist sensibility to it. I mean, he's not doing like, you know, this sort of nineties, like airbrushing stuff that you see, you know, even to this day in a lot of comics, right? Like with the rendering and all that. I mean, he's doing real subtle textures and strokes and things like that, that look a lot more organic. And it's just so mm-hmm. complimentary to mm-hmm. the art. So I'll do, I do ink washes on these. So essentially I'll do a black and white drawing, right? That's high contrast. And then I'll go in with watered down ink and add gray tones, you know? So it's, it's kind of like a grayscale painting at that point. And that can be a difficult thing for colorists because it can be muddy if you don't do it right. And especially if it's traditional, because if it's digital, you can do it on a separate layer in Photoshop and then they can just turn that off once they've done their thing, you know, but Brad is able to take what I do and just like really make it so vibrant. And like, he knows what I'm trying to do and he elevates it every time. So it really, we have this like awesome tandem working relationship where the notes I I have to send are usually like, if I forgot to tell him what color something was supposed to be, like everything else is just like, he sends a page back and it's like, beautiful. That's it. (laughs) So it's really (laughs) awesome. A few minutes ago, we talked about 
book format? That's going to be my next question. We've got this digital file that looks to me like it could be paperback or a hardback. What's the format future of this book looking like? It's a paperback with a real nice cover stock. It has like gatefold flaps on it, okay. which is really nice. So yeah, um, the French version is in hardcover. I wish the US one was as well, but I, you know, I guess the, the market is just different over there and they prefer hardcovers or something. So, <laughs> um, so, so this, this is book two in a three book deal I have with humanoids. The first book I did was called Count, which came out last year. And it's like a sci-fi remix of The Count of Monte Cristo. They did the same kind of treatment with that. So it's got like a nice spot varnish on the cover and the gatefolds and stuff. And Brad's colors just printed so beautifully. So I'm really excited for people to get uh, retroactive as well because it's the same kind of treatment. So the next obvious question is, uh, is there a specific release date? And what is the best way for people to find it? Yeah, uh, so it comes out April 26th. 2022 year of our lord <laughs> and uh it's uh it's going to be available through basically any comic shop can order it barnes and noble will have it amazon if you go to retroactivecomic.com i've put up a website with a trailer for it and then a link to various ways you can buy it so it's just basically two buttons on there and it'll take you right where you need to be so i'm doing a pre-order giveaway where if you pre-order and email a copy of the, you know, screen cap or of the receipt or whatever to retroactivecomic at gmail.com, uh, you get entered to win one of a bunch of prizes. We've got t-shirts, signed book plates, other comics I've done, and some original art pages as well. So there's a lot up for grabs in that. I mean, there'll be a bunch of winners and prizes and whatnot. So uh, yeah, if you want to pre-order it, then that is the best way to do it. Excellent. Excellent. Pat, I heard that once you got the download, you were selling bootlegs out of the back of your car. We need, <laughs> we need to talk about that. I watermarked it with DJ Cristados, so I'll know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you know, I should oh, mention, man. I've got another book coming out. This is one I did a few years ago for a digital first publisher, but this is also something that Bond fans would enjoy. It's called Jaeger. It is a post-World War II story about a, a Nazi hunting spy. So it's a guy who worked for the Allies. He's French Algerian. He was part of the Special Operations Executive, which was, as Bond fans might know, the precursor to MI6. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was held in a Nazi prison camp. The war ended, and he was freed. And then the world just kind of moved on. And he's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> so, right, right. so he's going around hunting them on his own. And then one of his colleagues from the soe comes to him and she's like hey i'm with mi6 now we know what you're doing officially don't do that unofficially you know the prime minister is actually not happy with all these nazis that escaped essentially persecution so we have a list of ones that we know to be alive but they have falsified death certificates so technically they don't exist anymore so you can't get in trouble for taking them out uh, nice. But we'll disavow you if you get in trouble. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, it's a, that one is also a brisk one. It's it's forty eight pages. It's more of like a graphic novella kind of thing, and uh, it was done for a, a publisher that was like exclusively on iPhones. But I drew it in a way that it could be printed because I knew, uh, you know, eventually I wanted it to live on Smart. paper. Yeah. So, and I did it in a, a much more like kind of reserved style like i was really looking at a lot of alex toth and darwin cook and like parker series you know where it's like right limited right, right. color palettes and and more expressive 
brief line work and stuff. So that's coming out in May through comic shops, through a new publisher called Fair Square Comics. And it's part of a line they're doing called Classified, which is like a bunch of kind of espionage and noir stories. So if you look up Classified Jaeger, that'll be out in May. In comic and shops. I'm assuming that Jaeger is spelled with a J like the German yes, word for hunter. J-A-E-G-E-R. Yes, exactly. So I wanted to show off to everybody that I speak a little German. Yeah. So. And I'm glad you pointed that out. I forgot <laughs> yeah, to mention yeah. that. Yeah. So like, you know, that's kind of what the, they call him. They're like, oh, the Jaeger's coming, right? So it's like... Right. Uh, mm. Very much a you know revenge story set in post World War II you know early Cold War kind of thing. So very inspired by Bond stuff as well. Um, Love it, yeah. Love it, yeah. So Jaeger retroactive. Retroactive's in April. Jaeger's in May. You can get a one-two punch of sort of a Bond flavored. Like I said, retroactive has that uh, sci-fi feel. I'm looking at the cover right now. Like you said, the style and fashion that the main protagonist is wearing is sort of a very Nehru. Dr. No kind of uh, yeah, yeah. suit. So yeah, I mean, the influences are clearly here in the most wonderful of ways. So uh, yeah, go go get this stuff, folks. So uh, it's going to be out there and, you know, support Ibrahim and he's given a lot to the Bond community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff that we love. We raved and raved about Solstice uh, when we covered that one. Oh, thank you so much, man. Mm-hmm. I, I, that was a that was a dream come true, literally, to do that book. Uh, we'd love to hear the story. Like, yeah. how, how did you get approached? parameters anything you can talk about you might have signed some non-disclosures but no i can it's all an open book yeah Um, how's that go i was at emerald city comic-con in like 2013 2014 i think or maybe yeah 2014 ish 2015 jeff parker who wrote james bond origin and who i co-wrote our stories with he came up to my table and because we're buddies and we were chatting and i was doing a john wick commission for somebody and he said, you should see, this is before Dynamite had the John Wick license. And he said, you should see who's got the rights to that. Because that'd be a cool comic. I was like, dude, I know. And I go, hey, speaking of which, do you know the editor who's editing the Bond stuff at Dynamite? Because, uh, you know, I wanted to draw Bond. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, I'm actually, I'm writing some. And I was like, what? I go, Jeff, do you have an artist? He goes, no. I was like, can I draw it? He goes, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's that, how it goes folks yeah i mean it was awesome that monday morning i had an email from the editor you know of origin because it was different editors were working on different bond stuff so you had a guy named anthony marquez at the time i believe him and a guy named joe rybrandt were doing like the main bond stuff like the warren ellis jason right. masters book and then nate was developing origin on the side so basically it was good to go. But then what ended up happening was there was such a slow approval process. You know, filming publications limited, rightfully so, very stringent about what goes into the canonical Bond stuff that they were doing, right? They weren't as worried about the modern day stuff. I mean, they had they had notes and, and things that they wanted to be a certain way. But the stuff that, you know, Origin was like affecting, you know, it was, it was an official prequel to the Fleming stuff. So that had to be like on point. So it just took a really long time to get the ball rolling on that. So I ended up having to step away to take on other work just because, you know, I couldn't sit around and wait. And then when it came time to do it, I was busy. And then so they brought in Bob, who I'm just like, oh, and then I got to follow that guy. He's so good. you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So while that was happening, Nate Cosby, the editor of the origin stuff, said, hey, you know, we have two issues that are sort of like not spoken for yet do you want to pitch a story? And I was like, Oh my God. Yes. Like, (laughs) so I pitched the story, the debt that Jeff and I did, which was about bonds 
mentor when he was in school, Weldon, I believe was his name, getting caught up in something and ended up getting killed. And so Bond goes to investigate it. And the Fleming publications folks liked it enough. They said, you know what? Let's actually make this a bigger part of the story. Let's make it three issues instead of two and then plant the seeds early on. So that had a hand in Jeff making that character a bigger part in the first arc of origin. And then so while we were getting all that going, Nate came to me and he said, hey, we're doing a holiday special. Do you want to pitch me a story for it? You know, James Bond holiday special. And I was like, again, oh my God, yes. Like I get to write and draw this one. And he was like, yeah, as long as we get it approved, you're the guy. And so, I mean, I I had something back to him within 24 hours, which was basically the, the framework of Solstice. And I knew that I wanted it to be a nod to like Moonraker and For Your Eyes Only where, you know, because I was thinking like, okay, the holiday spirit, I wanted this to be not a Christmas special in the sense that like it feels very Christmassy and you can only read it on Christmas. Like I wanted it to feel like a Bond story you could read anytime. And so I thought more about the themes of, you know, the holidays and, and you know, how family is a thing and how Bond is an orphan and mm. how M is almost like, you know, not necessarily a surrogate father to him. You know, I think they played up that relationship more in the in the Daniel Craig era of movies, but definitely somebody who he respects and who, like in the beginning of Moonraker, the novel or the short story for your eyes only, comes to Bond and says, like, I need a personal favor from you, right? And that's when he calls him, you know, come on in, James, kind of thing. And he's like, James, yeah. what? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. This one's not here. We are off the books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was definitely pulling from that stuff then the rest kind of came about naturally where it was like, okay, well, what kind of personal favor would M need that we've never seen from him before? And that's how I thought, Oh, he has a daughter, you know? And, and the book, I actually called it solstice before I even knew why, how that would be relevant. Cause I just thought it sounded like such a bond title and something you could only do for like a wintry themed thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, Oh, that'll be the name of M's daughter. So it really just fell into place. Like, pretty much overnight because i'm just i mean this stuff just lives in my head so it was like the opportunity to actually like do it formally and get paid for it i was just like i was ready to go i i I understood the assignment as the kids say you know (laughs) so yeah and then uh from there it was just like writing it and getting approved and i'm very fortunate that the the wonderful folks at ian fleming publications like they knew right away when i became involved with origin like this guy knows bond so the notes were pretty minimal in terms of like, I mean, the only notes they had actually were stuff that the editor told me you should do this. And I did it, you know, cause I was just trying to please him. Cause I was like, this is my first opportunity to do this. And they were like, yeah, we don't really like that part. And I was like, well, okay, that wasn't me anyway. So we'll take that <laughs> out. You know? Yeah. The, the only thing that kind of bummed me out was that I had him driving an Aston Martin in it. Cause I just wanted to draw one so badly. And they were like, ah, you know, he's always driving an Aston Martin in these comics. Like, Bond drove a bunch of different cars. Like you should do something, something else. And I was like, fair enough. You know? So I gave him that Talbot logo, this very old Italian car. I think it was DB five esque, but not a DB five, <laughs> you know? So yeah, that's uh that's the story on that. And then, and then eventually origin came up after that. So I got to work on that too. So, well, I, I think the real strength of a lot of the stuff that dynamite did, because what I'm about to say, I don't want to sound like I'm besmirching any other creators, but, since you're here, I'd like to tell you, uh, we loved it, clearly, on Thank our you. show. And one of the big kind of takeaway feels from our discussion of it, uh, from all of us, was sometimes people get a license on something like as big as Bond or Star Wars or something like that. 
that creator feels like they have to put their fingerprints on Bond, whereas you felt like you weren't trying to say, hey, this is Ibrahim Mustafa's Bond. You were elevating the character. You, you were like, how can I make this good or better, but not try to be like, this is my, you know, you know what I'm saying? Some some creators kind of try to take it over. I appreciate that. And I, I share your sentiments as a Bond fan. You know, I like Bond to be Bond, right? That's not to say that I wouldn't be perfectly happy watching an Idris Elba Bond or a even Nomi from, from you know the new 007. Give me those. I'll watch those. You know, we've mm-hmm. got 25 James Bond movies. I'll, I'd watch a new, the new 007. I thought she was great. But I think there are core things that are need to be present in a Bond story for it to feel like a Bond story. You know, and I kind of mentioned those earlier. Talking about retroactive, you have your opening sequence. Mm-hmm. You have there's there's a plot structure to Bond stories. One of the things I really enjoy about the character is when you get to see how this story fits that structure. Right? That's not to say it should be pigeonholed because there's always room to subvert those expectations, mm-hmm. and that's another thing that makes it interesting. And I think that's a reason I like Skyfall so much is because they subverted the expectations while staying true to that world. I will tell you. And this is not a slide against anybody. I was set to draw the first arc of the James Bond 007 relaunch. Because what actually I had I had pitched a five-issue miniseries in the vein of like a hammerhead or you know the other like kind of minis they were doing. It was approved, I think, at Dynamite, and then it was off to the Fleming folks. But then Dynamite changed course and said, you know what? We've had diminishing returns by expanding the line and doing all this other stuff. So we're just going to reconsolidate to just one Bond title the way we did with like Varger and uh, Eidolon. And so I lost the opportunity to do that story. And Nate was now the editor of the main Bond book. And he said, well, do you want to relaunch James Bond 007 with us? You know, it's three issue arcs. So it wouldn't be a huge commitment. You can do three of these, do three of origin. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I designed, you know, the new odd job and Agent K that was in that book. And that actually kind of frustrated me because Greg and I worked closely on what he would look like. And then everybody else just drew that actor from Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, come on, guys. You know, we made a very specific thing here. But again, not a slight to anybody, but I ended up stepping away from that book because I didn't feel like it was doing what a Bond book should do. There was a specific scene where he did karaoke, and I was like, "I, I just, I can't." <laughs> I was like, "I got a rep to maintain here." I, I, you know, I was like, and I said, "You know, Greg's a wonderful guy, and he's a fantastic writer, and I didn't want to get in the way of him having fun doing his version of Bond, you know, because it was such a such a highlight for me to get to work on Bond. I don't want to screw that up for anybody else, and because I was having such particular feelings about it, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna bow out. I'll go back to Origin. That was the thing I was gonna do anyway." I think it all worked out really well. Sometimes you get that feeling, you know, that pit of your stomach feeling like this just isn't my shoe size. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty much what it was. I think it was a kind of a square peg round hole situation. And, you know, I just was like, you know, I, this is maybe biting off something I don't want to chew on. So let me just go back to origin. And I got to do solstice. And that was, I feel like if that's all I ever get to do with bond, that's fine. I feel like I put my best foot forward. Or with modern day Bond, I should say, because yeah. obviously I went on to do six issues of Origin. But yeah, so, you know, and at this point, I don't know if I'll ever do any Bond stuff again. Dynamite doesn't pay very well. And that's not a secret. I mean, you know, it's like kind of an industry thing. So, you know, you you take these jobs sometimes because you love the property, right? I'm just at a point now where I, I don't think I could 
live on what they pay to do it. So, you know, then I kind of like, you know what, I can take that experience and that love and put it into something new. And that's how we get retroactive. Hmm. So <laughs> it all comes back in a circle. Okay. Oh, <laughs> well done, sir. We can definitely tell, um, you know, in solstice, just how much you do love the lore of bond and, uh, especially those, that fight scene. Oh man. Oh, we went on and on. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, that was, I love that. I think that's one of the things that Craig era did really well was elevate that sort of found object combat and that close quarters. I mean, obviously we first saw it really strongly with from Russia with love on the screen, right? When mm-hmm. he fights, um, thread grant, that scene is so visceral in that train, right? Like in that little compartment. And so I wanted to do something like that, you know, and hence how we got the hotel room scene and, you know, working with the amount of space I had. So if, if you recall, there's one page where it's like, the panels yes. sort of zoom in on their struggle in different parts of the room. Yeah. You know, that was yeah. a byproduct of like, I've got 30 pages to do this and I want to do a substantial fight scene. So <laughs> how do I, you know, <laughs> so I remember, I don't know if you've listened to the episode, uh, if you might've been too scared to click on that one. And that, that's <laughs> I remember just saying that I thought your, your energy flow through the fight was what I call Bray Fogle esque. I think Norm Bray Fogle brought so much energy to combat scenes and to me, that's the highest compliment I can give. So Amen. allow me to wax your car that, a bit. And that's thank you. It was outstanding. <laughs> thank you. That's a huge honor. R.I.P. Norm Brainfogel. He was he was one of the best for sure. God, he so, could put energy on paper. Yeah. Yes, sir. And and you've you've got it. You've thank got you, it. man. I I love action stuff, and I love trying to capture it as best I can. You know, that's something too. And you know, hopefully, this was apparent and retroactive as well. And there's a lot of action in my book. Count. You know, that's the other thing. Like the Count of Monte Cristo is kind of a soap opera, right? Like the original novel, like it's right. very long and, you know, character stuff. And I really made it like kind of an action thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go find this thing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm um, going to go find it too. Just Yeah, I I put a ton of sword fights in it. And, you know, hmm. like I was like, let's make this, you know, swashbuckling. And because a lot of people think like Alexander Dumas, like he wrote the Three Musketeers and this. So it must have been. And it's like, no. I think there's a one sword drawn in all 1200 pages of that book. <laughs> so <laughs> in this, I kind of made a, a new kind of sword in the, I won't go too on too much of a tangent here, but in count, you know, it's kind of another world. I don't really say it's not in space or anything, but it's this sort of other earth like place that we don't really name because it's not important, but in, you know, there's like floating islands and stuff and the vehicles hover and the science and technology behind that is kind of like in my head, at least, you know, I don't really say it in the book, but, there's a there's a polarity thing happening where like the the minerals and ores within the earth have like reverse polar charges from one another so that's kind of how you get the islands floating off the ground in one place and so there's a sword in the book called the elemental which he acquires the main character and it essentially it magnetizes the surrounding elements and pulls them into like this ion and ionizes them into this hardened blade so almost like a lightsaber where you just have the hilt and then oh, when it's okay. activated, All it right. just kind of swirls in this cloud and just comes into place. Oh, and then you okay. get this like peerless edge that, you know, it's like oh, it can cut through anything. Um, no, I like it. Thank yeah. you. So, yeah, I was like, I want to have sword fights and I got to make a cool sword for this, you know. And So, yeah, action is a big thing to me. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I like to try to do is make it feel cinematic. Because a lot of times in comics, you know, you have one panel with a punch and one panel with a kick and one panel with, a, you know, another punch it's hard to see the connective tissue. Like it's not a fluid fight all the time because it's just a sort of disparate strikes and blows. And so I try to do it in a way that you can follow along. And like we were talking about earlier, your brain sort of fills in those gaps and you can see, you know, 
maybe Bond and this villain crawl from the floor to this chair and you don't see every step of the crawl, but you can infer how they got there. Right. Um, so yeah, that's something I really have a lot of fun with. Oh, we did too. Yeah, Thanks. definitely. And <laughs> you talk about getting the feels and all that, not in, in action wise, but I do want to compliment you on the character moments, especially in retroactive that we're reading through it, the character moments that I felt with the main character and the close ones to him, mm -hmm. uh, how that comes about. And I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it, it was done very well that I Thank you. you know, was pulled into you know, who he is and his relationships with the people close and around him. I appreciate that. Thank you, man. Again, I don't want to give away too much like Pat, but I thought it was neat how your sort of underlying characterization of his private moments with, with yeah. his family, they're dealing with something I don't like it. I don't want to give everything away. But well, we can. With, I think we can. Yeah, it's okay. Like, okay. Well, well, basically, he's dealing with his. If this is okay, his yeah, mother yeah. with dementia, mm -hmm. which is a brilliant thing because it, it helps build a backstory for him with his mom, his father, his sister, and all the while they're dealing with something that he's unsure that he himself might be dealing with. Right. Uh, losing the grip of reality, and I thought mm -hmm. the. It, Again, it all just ties together so nicely. It's, Thank you, man. You know, clearly yeah. put a lot of thought into detail. Or I you wanted, got really lucky, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I wanted him to have personal stakes, you know, beyond just like the sort of, you know, world yeah. ramifications of it all, right? And I think that's that's a big part of why certain Bond stories work so well, right? Like with uh, License to Kill, you know, Felix Leiter was attacked and maimed and his wife was killed. And that's it's very personal for Bond, right? Mm-hmm. In, uh, you know, the Craig movies, M is on his ass the whole time, pretty much like, you know, he's he's stepping out of line and, you know, you, you know, she's kind of coming down on him a lot. And and so you, you root for him because he's like kneecapped a little bit, you know, and and I think it makes the struggle to to complete the, the mission like that much more interesting when, you know, because we all have stuff that pulls us away from, you know, we got kids or pets or whatever, you know, and, you know, aging parents, et cetera. So. Yeah, I really wanted to have like that sort of relatable quality to like the time travel future spy thing, you know. Well, it worked. It worked. Thank yeah, you. Definitely. I can continue to gush more and more about this. <laughs> but I, you know, just go and get this folks and read it and read it again. I'm going to go back and read it again. Just some of the the subtle things. I mean, uh, when we talk about him going to see, you know, he that goes off to that private area to where you see who he's looking at. And in the one one mirror, it's a reflection one way, and then later on, it's reflection the other. It's yeah, that was cool. I'm like, oh, thank I got you. that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff, right? And I just, I what, wanted the to, little nuggets every yeah. Yeah, I love putting things in that are like you might not get the first time, but you get the second time, or you know, it has a different meaning if you go back and and look at it again. And mm -hmm. so I appreciate you guys, you know, picking up on that stuff. And it, you know, not a ton of people have read it so far, so it's nice to like go, okay, that worked. <laughs> well, you're definitely approved by Pat and I over here at Honor Majesty Secrets. That's, that's all I need, man. <laughs> We're good. Whatever the book can, you know, whatever can happen now. It <laughs> if you need us for like the the quotes on the back of the dust jacket, we're yeah, available. Right. We could yeah. <laughs> we could be those quote guys on the back. Oh, but uh, man, you you've been great. You've 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 shared with us, you know, your your bond thoughts. You shared with us your latest project. Uh, you shared with us a story of how you got on those those wonderful books where you did such great work in the James Bond community. We just 
we just thank you for being here and spending a little time with us on this hey, episode. I appreciate you guys thank having you. me so much. And, you know, like I said, I'm a fan of the show. So, you know, I, I was like, Oh, I got to reach out to those guys and see if we can, you know, finally <laughs> talk some bond together. And so I, you know, I appreciate So he made guys. this whole book retroactive just so. <laughs> it was a long con. I was like, <laughs> well done, sir. Well played. Well played. No, I, I appreciate so much of the kind words and you guys sharing your platform with me and, and taking the time, you know, out of your out of your days to to chat about this and to read the book. I mean, that's, you know, a, a whole commitment in and of itself. Well, it's faster for some of us, obviously. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Hey, no problem. We we thank you for being here. And just as a reminder to the listeners, Retroactive is going to be available this month. Jaeger available next month. So go find those. Uh, if and, Oh my gosh, if you haven't gotten uh, Ibrahim's work on Origin or Solstice, this might not be the podcast for you. I mean, you should own that stuff already if you're listening to our show. So uh, go hunt that stuff down. We thank Ibrahim again for being here. So as usual, uh, we're going to close this out, but we want to know where everybody can find us on the internets and all that stuff. We will start with our guest. If people want to chat with you, Ibrahim, are you available on those social medias? I am. Uh, if you go to uh, my Instagram at Ibrahim underscore M underscore art, I have a link tree thing and I've got all my, you know, I'm on YouTube. I, I do custom action figures, which I have a bond one coming up by the way. Um, yeah. And I do, um, some art stuff on there and then obviously twitter also ibrahimmustafa.com has links to everything as well so that's probably the easier way <laughs> <So>. <laughs> awesome yeah just check out ibrahimmustafa.com uh, you can't go wrong uh, with that and you know just in case you want to talk with us of course i'm at yard sale artist on twitter facebook instagram it's all yard sale artists you can check out my wares at the yard sale pat where can folks find you well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. I'm also on the Lawnbox Crusade, either on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at lawnboxcrusade.com is where we do our other podcast stuff. That's right. Yeah, that's we're heavy into comic books over there. So uh, yeah, that might have showed a little bit on this episode. <laughs> I forgot to plug something. Is that okay if I do that? And you plug. Back in? Plug. Thank you. So I, a couple years ago, did a poster illustration for every bond movie i can't believe i forgot to mention this i basically did like my own kind of graphic design drawing of like each one and i tried Mm -hmm. to do some kind of cool hidden imagery in it so like you know the one for dr no is like an upshot looking up the vent duct system that he's climbing through and the pipes make an n and then the tube that he's in is the o you know so i did stuff like that with them for each one the only one i haven't done yet is no time to die because i just haven't had time but those are (laughs) available on my online store which is linked in all my other stuff i sell the digital versions because that way people can print them however they want at whatever size they want put them in their blu-ray sleeves and uh there it's i think it's sixty dollars for all 24 and then you there's also smaller packages so like if you just want like one or two of your favorite movies, it's like, you know, five, 10 bucks, whatever. And then there's a couple different tiers available. Oh, okay. So okay. If you want to check those out, those are available on my oh, definitely, uh, Definitely. That sounds awesome. Well, I'm glad that we got all that in. I'm glad Ibrahim was here. Yeah. Thank you for letting me slide that in. <laughs> like one of the most relevant things to our conversation. I forgot. <laughs> it's been so long now since I did them. Awesome. We've had a great time. I hope you guys have a great time listening. And as always, Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast will return.
James Bond.